0: You're listening to the Apex Fantasy Football Podcast. Hello
1: fellow fantasy football fanatics. It is playoff time. Welcome to the week 14 edition of the Apex Fantasy Football Podcast. We're recording here on a Tuesday afternoon before what's seemingly become like almost a weekly thing, a Tuesday night football game, had a Monday night doubleheader, but Next week, buckle up, looks like we got seven morning games, six afternoon games for week 14 playoffs. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about um, some a relatively big week for waivers compared to some of the past few weeks, um, some streamers maybe at the defensive and quarterback positions if you're not super confident in your current options going into the playoffs. And we're also going to discuss, uh, Mike has some good nuggets for us about, some zero RB information, if that's how you want to interpret it, basically how in the middle rounds, what wide receiver versus running back look like for this year and how, what we can learn from that and how we can use it uh, in the upcoming season. Make sure we kind of don't forget though. You know, we tell ourselves every at the end of every year, I'm not drafting this guy and using this strategy. Um, now is a good time to start thinking about that. And let's not forget how we feel at this moment when we're drafting in August. But let's go with waivers and what could be for many teams, the last waiver run of the season. Um, Let's start at the wide receiver position with uh, Kiki Cootie, who had his moment a few years ago, was in the doghouse seemingly the rest of the time, but all of a sudden now has had a big game and he is now the wide receiver one B to a superstar quarterback. Uh, Mike, are you, excited about Cootie and I want you to talk about him in comparison to some guys maybe like Christian Kirk or T. Higgins or Tyler Boyden. Are you starting someone like him over those struggling yet somewhat established guys?
2: Yeah, I think the difficulty with him comes in with the matchups. Uh Cootie's obviously an interesting player and he's paired with a quarterback that seemingly feels like he can produce with anybody, whether it's Fuller, Cooks, Hopkins, who are all more talented players. Shad Hansen. <laughs> But with Chad Hansen and Kiki Cootie coming through, it really feels like Watson can produce with whoever he has. And last week the Colts weren't the best matchup, but on nine targets, Kiki Cootie caught eight of them for 141 yards. So I think it kind of it becomes difficult to pick up wide receivers on waivers. And Cootie is one of those guys who's now in a situation with a good quarterback um, where there's a significant opportunity for targets um, and in that respect I really like him I don't really like the fact that he's one of those guys who feels like he's better on the turf at home and now he's going on the road to face the Bears and then he's on the road again against the Colts and then he has a great matchup in week 16 against the Bengals so it really depends which week You're trying to start him. Obviously, before this Colts matchup, he had two straight games where he had two catches, um, one for 10 yards against the Patriots and one for 17 yards against the Lions. So he didn't really perform there. Then they lose Fuller, and he has an amazing game against the Colts. So the opportunity will be there, and he may be able to produce, but the warning would be based on the difficult matchups he has coming up.
1: What about in comparison to some of the guys I mentioned? Um, Do you think he's worth a risk over a Christian Kirk going into New York, over a T. Higgins versus Dallas with who knows at quarterback, maybe compared to like a Marquise Brown or a Jarvis Landry? Is he kind of in that
2: tier for you? Um, I think when it comes to a Marquise Brown, maybe you make the argument that the sum of the Texans passing offense will be a lot more than Baltimore. And Cootie doesn't have to have kind of the same share that Marquise Brown does because Marquise Brown needs to dominate and score a long touchdown in order to produce there. We could see Cootie get into a situation where he gets 10 targets or nine targets like last week, and he's able to accumulate some easy PPR points. So I would, I would uh, wouldn't really hesitate to start him over Marquise Brown, but when it comes to somebody like Christian Kirk, maybe against the Giants, they have Bradbury on Hopkins and opens up some opportunity for Kirk, who we've seen pop earlier this season. Uh, Marquise Brown, it really feels like it's just not going to happen this year and they're not able to produce and pass at the rate that they need to in order for him to be a reliable fantasy option.
1: Dalton, where does Cootie rank for you in terms of wide receivers this week? Is he a low-end wide receiver three and are there any significant guys you're starting him over?
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that's the perfect range that I would have him around. And the thing is, he does have such a low floor because of what we've seen in the past. But at the same time, we also saw a ceiling game attached to um, uh, Deshaun Watson there. So I think I think Mike made a really good point in terms of it's matchup based. If we look at next week, obviously the Bears. But week 15, he's going against the Colts, in which was the team in which he roasted this week for 141 yards. So we have to keep that in mind. For this week personally, though, like I'm not necessarily comfortable like throwing him ahead of guys like Tyler Boyd or T. Higgins. Um, personally, I, I like those guys' talent, but I think they make more out of less opportunity there. Um, and maybe Week 15, I think, is a conversation and matchup in which we've already seen him do well, and that's probably where I could actually have a conversation and move ahead. But um, that's roughly around the range. Low-end wide receiver at three. I'm totally fine starting him there. But, again, I have some issues starting over guys that I've seen be reliable studs, so even with a less quarterback play.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, sometimes with these wide receivers who pop off and we're excited about starting them the next week, a lot of them seem to fall flat, and maybe we want to stick with our more established options. But, you know, you could do a lot worse than Kiki Cootie. What about at running back? A couple guys who appear back from the dead, along with Cootie. Ty Johnson of, uh, we thought he would replace carry on last year, maybe provide some stability. Didn't seem to happen. Didn't even realize he was on the Jets until a couple weeks ago, to be quite honest with you, but he looked like really good um, against what admittedly is not a great Raiders defense, but looks like Frank Gore is dealing with a concussion. Um, No one else really there to compete with him. So Ty Johnson against the Seahawks in week 14. How do we feel about Ty Johnson as a pickup, Mike?
2: It's not a great matchup for him, but any running back who's basically playing every down has significant value. And whether it was the early down rushes or passing routes run, uh, Ty Johnson dominated. And those are valuable touches in a running back landscape that's basically deteriorated to a point that anybody who's getting that opportunity in any matchup has some value. So I'd look at him as kind of a low-end running back two, if you're desperate, he has the opportunity. He's going to, if he remains healthy, likely get above 10 carries and above three targets um, with obviously opportunity to do more like he did last week. I don't see any significant opportunity. And assuming that Gore is out, Uh, he has a high floor the caution comes in with the following week's matchup obviously the Seattle matchup isn't easy and that's followed by a Rams matchup where he's gonna have to run into Aaron Donald and in week 16 which we'd probably assume Gore would be back uh, he they face the Cleveland Browns
1: which is a big big pass funnel for for them
2: yeah so so none of them are exactly great matchups and it's it seems like a short-term opportunity for Ty Johnson because we don't know how long Gore is going to be out so if you're desperate for running back he's good obviously you're not going to start him over any of your studs yeah
1: hopefully you know maybe he's an option if you lost what looks like to be a multi multiple week Antonio Gibson injury unfortunately um then maybe he's an option for you also another guy we've talked about for Jeff Wilson um he we thought you know, Monster looked so good early in the year, then he got hurt, then he looked really good again, and then he got hurt again, and here he's back. We thought Tevin Coleman would do something. Two carries and negative 11 yards later, he's out. McKinnon didn't touch the ball, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Jeff Wilson got more run than the much more heralded Raheem Mostert last week.
2: Yeah, he played one more snap than Mostert, and it really feels like Kyle Shanahan makes these decisions on the fly watching the players, and it looked like Wilson had some more juice, Um, And he got more playing time as a result of it. It doesn't feel like Shanahan has this determined plan prior to the game where he says, this guy is going to play. This is our number one running back. It kind He goes with the hot hand week after week. And it looks like right now it's Mostert and Wilson. And if you have an open spot, obviously Wilson would be hugely valuable. Like he was in that Patriots game where Mostert was out. So if we see a Mostert injury, Wilson becomes really valuable and I mean if you need a desperation play who's just going to get some touches then Wilson is an interesting guy they face Washington this week which isn't a great matchup but Dallas the following week in week 15 and there's potential for Mostert and Wilson to both have uh significant opportunity and score significant points against dallas if they're able to just hold the lead and run the ball all game and one could argue that wilson is probably the favorite for goal line carries and he could easily punch in a few touchdowns
1: so he he is actually one of the biggest threats for multiple touchdowns every single week they make it a point to get him in there within the five yard line and with washington and dallas these are not two teams who are going to throw for 400 yards. They're going to be down 24 to 7 before you blink, right? They're going to be – they could be running the ball the entire game. So, again, if you just lost Antonio Gibbs and Jeff Wilson's probably a, a relatively good pickup there. Dalton, I'm going to ask you the same question that I asked about Kiki Kuti. Where do you have Ty Johnson and Jeff Wilson in comparison, you know, uh, to some other low-end running back twos that you might be starting?
0: Um, uh, I think that for a guy like Ty Johnson, I'm probably going to be a little bit lower on than, because of the fact that I think there's a couple factors that come into play. One is, is Frank Gore even going to be back this week? That's a total possibility that he is back, which obviously That's true. thwart some of um, that opportunity for Ty Johnson. Two is the Jets are a really bad team. This is like the first game we've seen them actually be competitive in. They were in a game where it was actually positive game script for most of the time for Ty Johnson. So for him to see, you know, 20 plus carries i feel like that's extremely unlikely and they have to be in a scenario in which they're going against a couple really good teams in which they have to have that game script and i think it's unlikely so um for me i'm actually i'm actually a little higher on jeff wilson just because i think his his ceiling is a little higher i know his floor may be a little bit lower because he's attached to Raheem Moster, but we've already seen Jeff Wilson not only this year when he's got opportunities, but last year in the past he was the goal line back and he was getting you know a touchdown almost a touchdown a game when he was getting that work there last year. And to see him get you know nearly 50 percent of the snap series, saw five targets last game. It's an efficient offense in which there's some somewhat favorable matchups here. You got Dallas and Arizona, which would be a pretty high scoring games. So I think when it comes to ranking them, I think they're more like in the late 20s. Right now for me, maybe even like 30s. Like I'm not – like I think like maybe like even like a Chase Edmonds range is honestly probably like right around where I have them. So like I'm not like overly high on them, but I do think like they do have some potential um, to have some solid games.
1: Yeah, and, you know, there's been – there were some significant injuries this week and can't hurt to have some more depth of the playoffs. You know, we see every year a Quentin Ganther type – uh if you any of you guys remember that reference who just comes in out of nowhere at running back position scores a couple of touchdowns and swings some real big money matchups uh last new streamer we're going to talk about or sorry new streamer <laughs> i'm getting ahead of myself uh waiver wire acquisition we'll talk about and we'll transition this into streamers is Jalen Hurts was just announced as the eagles starting quarterback mere minutes ago and while we're recording this um now the saints are a really tough matchup they have been really clamped down on opposing passers, uh, the, the, especially in the second half of the season. They've suffocated Matt Ryan. Hurts looked decent in some garbage time last week. Now, I think one pro for him, if you're planning on starting him, is oftentimes in these quarterbacks' first matchups, we see them do really well because they have no game tape uh, for defenses to go off of. However, you could also make them in the Saints, have their own Jalen Hurts and Taysom Hill, and know, might know exactly how to defend him. But when a guy, uh, his last year of college goes for 5,000 total yards and 52 touchdowns, I think we have to pay attention, don't we, Mike?
2: Yes, certainly. And I think the other element that we really need to pay attention to is his rushing ability. The guy rushed five times in his quarter of play, and he becomes a really interesting running back because anybody with that floor as a rusher has tons of value, as we've seen with Taysom Hill. And there's no reason that he can't be that dual threat who's gobbling up goal line carries rushing attempts and he also has a lively enough arm to gain a bunch of passing yards so I think Hurts is definitely somebody to be excited about as you mentioned the Saints matchup's really bad but in the following two weeks against Arizona and Dallas I don't see why he can't be
0: a streamer as a low-end quarterback one option I'm totally on board with that as well 100% on board Uh, and the thing is like with Hurts is we talk about a lot of guys who have, like, rushing ability and they can do things there. But he can be, like, an actual, like, game breaker with his legs. He rushed for nearly 1,300 yards last year. He was efficient as a passer as well. So And it's not like he has bad weapons around him. He has Zach Ertz that's now back here, Dallas Goddard, Jalen Rager. Um, even Travis Fulgham has flashed at times as well. Miles Sanders out of the backfield. So this is an offense in which things are going to be, you know, available for him, and he has a chance to thrive. And he looked somewhat decent last week. He was efficient um as a passer getting a nice touchdown pass in and i think that obviously we we touch on why rushing is so important for quarterbacks but if you're getting 40 to 50 yards rushing that's five points extra on top of what you're doing this passer and that's a lot of things that a lot of the streamers that you know we touch on we talk about they aren't able to get that level of floor in the rushing game which i think gives them um an added benefit here with the uh, surplus masters coming up yeah, and not just the floor, but also the ceiling. Like
2: he right, is a guy like right, T- right. like what we've seen from Taysom Hill, who now I think anybody would agree that anytime he plays, he's a quarterback one. And Hurts, I mean, compared to guys like Phillip Rivers and Derek Carr and whoever else is on waivers, those guys don't have the ability as a rusher and as a passer to accumulate fantasy points quite like uh, Taysom Hill or Jalen Hurts. And Jalen Hurts is one of those guys that one – good game against the Saints and we're saying that this guy is a weekly top five quarterback for as long as he's starting
1: and I'm going to read off to you guys some of uh, some other quarterbacks so you'll probably start over him but there's there's some surprising names on here in terms of who I'm going to leave off and maybe we want to start Hurts over them so here's who you're not benching uh for Hurts Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Rogers, Brady I mean Brady goes against Minnesota um, Herbert against Atlanta you're probably not benching Kyler Murray against the Giants, you're probably not benching. Maybe Big Ben against Buffalo. Deshaun Watson against Chicago, a little iffy. Um, But then you have Lamar Jackson against Cleveland. Uh, I don't know if we really want to mess with him in the playoffs, if any Lamar Jackson teams made it. Probably starting Josh Allen against Pittsburgh. Um, But then maybe Taysom Hill. So that's, let's say for round figures, eight guys. Um, who you're probably not going to bench for Jalen Hurts. But that leaves – there are 12 teams in most fantasy leagues. you know, That leaves a third of the league that you might want to start Hurts over. Are you guys starting him over people like Matt Ryan or um,
2: Goff or Matthew Stafford or Tannehill? Yeah, I'm embracing the volatility. I don't know about this week against the Saints. I need to take a closer look at everybody's matchup. Um, But when we're referring to broadly speaking and – uh, him going against Arizona in week 15, or Hertz going into Dallas in week 16. Yeah, I mean, Matt Ryan has struggled. He got Julio and Ridley back healthy this week and struggled again. Obviously, we've seen the upside that he has when both of those guys are on the field, but Goff, even when you want to depend on him in a good matchup, doesn't always you come You never to depend on Goff. <laughs> I'll, I'll take the Konami code of Hurts, uh, wheeling and dealing. Uh, I think there's a lot of upside in his week 15 and 16 matchups.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you, Mike on that. I think I think the issue for me is starting him this week, and I cannot start Hurts over a guy like Tannehu, who's going against Jacksonville, who is one of the, one of the worst against quarterbacks as well as Matt Ryan, who's also going against the Chargers, who have um, given up a lot of fantasy points to quarterbacks as well. But outside of that, when we're talking about week 15, week week 15 with those matchups, there, I do think um, over guys like. Stafford, um, Bridgewater, even, like, I think there's a conversation around, like, a Big Ben, because Big Ben necessarily hasn't been, like... That, I think, to me,
1: that's, though. like, kind of the quintessential middle ground
2: guy who you
0: might yeah, start Hurts over. Yeah, and for me, yeah, like, I mean, I'm, I'm having... Sorry, go ahead.
2: I was just going to say, let's be clear that this isn't a Hurts thing. If you look at every team against quarterbacks, uh, the Saints are number one dominating scoring. And they've stopped everybody in their path for the last three or four weeks. They're just on fire right now. So we don't necessarily want to bet against the best defense, but this is not a knock on Hertz. Any average matchup, we'd be happy to start him over um, most of the guys that
0: we've mentioned. So we're, we're essentially putting Hertz in like this streaming category where he's like a high end streamer now where, Hey, you know, you're not necessarily picking him up for this week, but you're more so like game planning for him. Hey, you know, maybe you do have a bye week and maybe your quarterback is not necessarily locked in and you want a guy, or maybe you just want an extra guy that you can potentially have an upside play towards if you do win your matchup this week. I think like he go him along with a guy like Jared Goff, Jared Goff has the New York Jets in week 15 as well as the Seahawks in week 16. I think those two are probably some of the guys that we should be targeting if we're looking for some of those high-end streamers that can really pop in, in the playoffs.
2: Yeah, and speaking of Goff, speaking of Goff, he goes against New England this week, and we know Belichick Ugh. doesn't make it easy for anybody. So if you wanted to pick up Hertz because Goff is your only quarterback and start him weeks 14 through 16, I have no problem with that. No, and the – um. The Patriots have always had Goff's number. If you look at Goff's next-gen
1: chart also, um, I think it was Josh Norris who said Sean McVay held his hand for 37 of his completions. You know, they are all within seven yards in line of scrimmage. And Belichick's the one who really unfolded that game plan in the Super Bowl a couple years ago that really put an end to that real— the real top five threat that the rams were so I, I wouldn't be comfortable starting Goff. but there are some other guys if you limped into the playoffs with lamar jackson or goff or stafford or cousins even a couple of guys who you think you should keep an eye on um one is mike glennon and you might laugh but the titans uh, they get the titans which is going to be a good weather game they uh, the Titans have been bleeding quarterback points uh, from the defensive end, right? Almost every quarterback to go in. has had two touchdowns the past two months, uh, multiple 300-yard games. They have no secondary. I think last week against Baker Mayfield, they got one pressure and zero quarterback hits or something ridiculous like that. Jadavian Clowney's on IR. And Mike Lennon uh, led the NFL this past week in 20-plus yard throws. So nearly 25% of his throws traveled. 20 or more yards down the field. So, you know, maybe it's a good week for a DJ Shark Hail Mary play. Um, In Glennon, you know, if he gets 280 yards and two touchdowns, I think you take that guaranteed out of someone like Matthew Stafford. Um, Another guy is Phillip Rivers, who goes against Vegas, who, I mean, you don't love starting a guy like Phillip Rivers, but do you guys have hurts over streamers like that against the Saints? Like if you're streaming a guy and you don't have one of those top eight dudes, are you taking Hurts, or are
2: you taking a mediocre quarterback with a good matchup? I think it depends on what you need. I I want to go for the upside, and I want to embrace the volatility, and that's what Hurts has. I don't necessarily want to go to the well with... Rivers or Glennon, yeah, they have good streaming matchups, but they're just not that good for fantasy. They've proven they're not that good, and maybe based on the defenses they play, they're able to wheel off two or three touchdowns. But I think Hertz, without much film, even against the Saints' defense, I think it's a lot more exciting. I think that he can save his day a lot easier. We know that Rivers and Glennon can have bad days, and Hertz may be able to have a bad day and run in a couple goal line carries like Taysom Hill, and it looks like a good day. So I'd rather go with Hertz. I'd rather go with the young guy who's volatile, who's exciting, than some old or useless quarterback because of a good matchup. I don't want to
0: rely on those guys in my fantasy playoffs. Dalton, what are your thoughts? There's, there's actually some really, really interesting points that he made there. And I think I think the main, the main thing that would have me lean Hurts over Rivers is, even though Rivers, if we look over this past seven games, he's had over – 291 passing yards a game he's had two touchdowns a game so like he's actually been like a relatively good streamer and i think like there's a discussion for potentially preferring rivers this week but the thing is when you're adding a guy like hertz you want to not only embrace that upside for this week but also get those matchups the next couple weeks and i think that's where like the tiebreaker would be for me is like not only am i getting hertz for potentially this week in which i think like it's a roughly even matchup but you're also adding him with the fact that you prefer Hurts over Rivers for the next three weeks. And I think that would be a tiebreaker.
1: I think that's a very fair argument. So hopefully those with any quarterback issues, that segment helped you out a lot. But Dalton, why don't you wax poetic for a minute or two on some defenses you're looking to stream in the playoffs, you know, maybe some that you can find on the waiver wire for this week that aren't great defenses, but have good matchups, or if you're looking ahead to weeks 15 and 16 as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So for this week, there's a, there's a couple interesting ones. Uh, first off, we got the Packers against Detroit. And not only the Packers are they great for this week, but they're going against Carolina the next week. So they have a couple plus matchups there that you can look there as well. Um, the Titans also have a couple plus matchups as well. They're going against Jacksonville and they're going against Detroit. They're probably actually one of my favorite ones to pick up, um, considering I know Mike Lennon's played well, but at the same time, I think it's a one week and potentially get some turnovers. And Titans are actually one of the best defenses out there um Seahawks obviously if they aren't owned they have to be owned they're going against the Jets this week and not only that but they're going against the football team the week after that but they're likely owned but just always check to make sure of that so those are probably some of my favorite ones for uh, week 14 but I look forward to week 15 week 16 let's say you have a bye week or you know you're in a position where you have that extra roster spot to where you can kind of game plan this stuff um we're looking at the Browns is obviously a massive one that you want to be targeting. If available, I don't know if somebody dropped them, but they're potentially available. They're going against the Giants week 15, Jets week 16. So that's a plus there. I also really like the Bills as well. The Bills are going against Denver in week 15, and they're going against the Patriots in week 16. So if you can have a week in which you don't need the Bills, they're going against Pittsburgh next week. But if you can um, withstand that, week 15, week 16, look really good for them as well. So those are kind of the main two teams, plus I would say the Rams as well. If they're somehow available, not only they're going against New England this week, they're going against the Jets week 15. So we've got a couple of nice matchups there if they're somehow available. So there's some teams I'm really looking forward to week 14 and 15 as well.
1: And if you're really scraping the bottom of the barrel, Cincinnati, they get uh, they host Dallas in week 14 and Carolina, although a lot of their good players might be out due to COVID. But if they're back, they get Denver uh, at they get Denver in Carolina and Denver has hemorrhaged defensive points this year. Not even on the back of Kendall Hinton, just in every other game, they've given up a lot of uh, sacks and turnovers. So um, those are two other options as well. Uh, Dalton, I'd be remiss if we went an episode not talking about Cam Akers.
0: Let's say he plays on Thursday night. Are you starting him? Um, it, I, I can't say 100% I'm starting him. It depends on my roster construction, but I do think that he is definitely becoming much more startable player we saw him get um a nice 69 of the snaps there for for the rams this week got 21 carries it looked like they finally were willing to utilize him as that workhorse and what we had expected him to be at the beginning of the year now there's a couple things that come into play um when it comes to the search we have to under determine daryl Henderson's health which i think he should be all right considering he went back in the game but that's also why he did see um so many or that's why Cam Akers saw so many of the snaps is because Daryl Henderson was missing part of the game but I do think that Cam Akers has proven worthy enough and looked well and, and looked good enough in order to uh to warrant enough of the snaps there and they have um they have a couple uh interesting matchups coming up here in the playoffs again New England which may honestly not be the greatest one but Jets and Seattle after that which I think Warrants him roughly around like a low-end RB2, maybe a high-end RB3 if we're looking at uh, running backs as well.
1: Yeah, the, um, the Patriots have been middle of the ground when it comes to defensive uh, running back points allowed. Mike, let's say Daryl Henderson's active, Cam Akers is active. Um, are you starting go- like guys like Jeff Wilson and Ty Johnson over Cam Akers?
2: I think that Ty Johnson is kind of the workhorse out of those three because he's just going to receive more opportunity than the other two who are going to be sharing. So that would be my concern, and I would probably rank him one, but Cam Akers would probably be two because I think he's kind of the lead dog in a timeshare where Jeff Wilson, his status as lead dog is kind of shaky. But they both kind of fall into the same territory, unfortunately. We'd like to see Akers pull away, and I think he has more of a chance to do so. And that's why I would lean him. But I don't know how surprised we would all be if Henderson plays, if Malcolm Brown plays, and if Akers plays. And if that happens against the Patriots, then you're looking at a bit of a hole in your lineup. And I think the concern is if this was a, a bad team, let's say like Dallas, where we expect the sum of the rushing yards to be much bigger, then there's more of a reason to get excited about Akers. The concern is even even if Akers was receiving 60% of the touches or more than that, how much are they going to be able to run the ball against the Patriots is a little bit of a concern. So I'm I'm not as excited about Akers as I would like to be, but hopefully this is the first step towards him becoming the guy for the Rams.
1: Yeah, I I think it's relatively. I think a good bet would be not expecting a ton of fantasy point production from this Thursday night, uh, Patriots and Rams game. It could be slow. It could be ugly. It could be a lot of punts. So. it's it's one of those we're excited about him, but the matchup and you know it's week this isn't week seven, right? This is this is your fantasy season on the line, so it's uh, some decisions like that will have to be made though, especially for teams who have struggled with injuries and ineffectiveness. Um, why don't we finish off this episode by uh, Mike? You had some really interesting stats about how the ADP has played out in terms of running backs versus wide receivers and certain point thresholds that you pointed out. Why don't you share that with our, uh, with our listeners?
2: Because I think they'd be really intrigued by it. So it n- doesn't necessarily have to do with ADP, but during the offseason, we talked a lot about how the top running backs are the best players in fantasy. The question is, if you don't have a top, let's say, four or five pick, How exactly are you going to attack the draft when all of these highly prioritized running backs go? And then now we're looking at kind of points per game for each position now that we have some data to work with. So if you look at all of the non-quarterbacks to score at least 20 fantasy points per game this season, we have three running backs, two wide receivers, and a tight end. However, if that moves to at least 18 points per game, then we're looking at Six running backs, six wide receivers, and one tight end. If that further moves down to 16 points per game, we're looking at 10 running backs, 16 wide receivers, and three tight ends. This continues to move however far down the line you go. So if you go to 14 fantasy points per game, we're looking at 17 running backs have done so. 30 wide receivers have done so and three tight ends. So if you were looking at those middle rounds outside of, I guess, Waller as a tight end, uh, you're really much better off attacking that wide receiver position. And running backs seem to be very top heavy. And the other interesting part is if you look at these running backs that we're talking about who have put up the points so far, we've seen a lot of injuries from them. So as I mentioned, let's take the 16-point threshold where 10 running backs, 16 wide receivers have scored at least 16 fantasy points per game. If we look at those running backs, we're including Christian McCaffrey, who missed significant time. Uh, We're including Chris Carson, who missed a four-game stretch. We're including Nick Chubb, who missed four games. We're including Joe Mixon, who played the first six games and hasn't played since, and we're including Austin Eckler who missed five games. So even if we're talking about those running backs who have been able to live up to their billing and score at least 16 fantasy points per game, half of them have missed significant time. And I'm not mentioning Dalvin Cook who missed a game, Aaron Jones who missed two games. If we go to the wide receiver position and we look at these Uh, 16 wide receivers who have scored at least 16 fantasy points per game. We know Devontae Adams missed two games. We know that Adam Thielen missed one on the COVID list. Ridley missed one game with an ankle. And now uh, Fuller was suspended for a game. Um, And A.J. Brown missed two games. All of the other guys outside of Julio Jones have played every game. So we haven't seen that same injury risk. Obviously, this is a small sample size, but there is research to show that running backs are much more likely to get injured. And it looks like running backs have a much lower floor at their draft position. So it just goes back to what we were talking about where these Wide receivers have more consistency and they're scoring more points at where they're being drafted because that running running back position is being hit so hard. And there was a lot of
0: debate about it this offseason, but the data is continuing to show that that is true. 100%. And even like looking at best ball win rates as well, if we look at the first 50 picks in the draft and we look at wide receivers versus running backs, there's only three running backs drafted in the first 50 picks and which have a win rate over 10%. That would be Alvin Kamara, Dalvin Cook, and Derrick Henry. And now if we look at the whole range of those players, 60% of those running backs that were going top 50 picks have a win rate below 8.3, which would be the average win rate. So that's a losing proposition for 60% of the running backs there. And if we look at the wide receivers going in the top 50, we have seven of them that got a 10% or higher win rate and there, and only 42% of them were losing propositions. It just shows that they're much safer investments in the middle rounds to go for wide receivers. And they give you a much more stable asset to your team um, versus those running backs in that range. And it's time and time again, it works. Would you guys call this a vindication or victory for zero RB or is
1: that
2: too broad of a, of a, uh, award, if you will? Um, I I mean, the zero running back truthers would be excited about this. So in that case, I think it is. But it also hurts a strategy that has been consistent time and time again, because if this continues to happen, then the market adjusts and people chase a wide receiver earlier. And then this strategy that we've talked about, that we've known is beneficial, uh, no longer has the same edge. So it may be a victory now, next year in drafts, if guys like A.J. Brown are going in the second round, guys like Higgins, C.D. Lamb are moved up the board, we see McLaurin go up, we see Justin Jefferson being drafted highly, Calvin Ridley, Keenan Allen, D.K. Metcalf, then you don't have the same edge where this year we were telling owners to push the draft button for D.K. Metcalf in round four. He may be a first-round pick next year. Um, And many of these other guys, if, if, the wide receiver position moves up the board, then it becomes harder to gain an edge next year. Um, but it's certainly a win for zero running back drafters in 2020 fantasy leagues. So then, so then what do we learn?
1: What the, the lesson that we're talking about now, if we can fast forward to next August, what are we going to be telling ourselves just from, from this data specifically?
2: I think it really depends on ADP. And this year, there were points where at the end of round two, maybe uh, 15 running backs had gone out of 24 picks and only four or five wide receivers had. So you were able... I mean, I saw Tyreek Hill fall to the end of the second round. I saw DeAndre Hopkins fall to the end of the second round. And at that point, you're able to gain such a significant advantage. Um, and we're not even talking about Devontae Adams falling to 12th overall, which I also saw. Um And those are such significant advantages when you can draft the ninth best running back or Devontae Adams, the second best wide receiver. Is ADP going to continue to be like that? Are drafters going to continue to think that you have to draft a running back early and you have to hit on your running back early to win your fantasy league um if they continue to think that way and we're able to gain this advantage then let's remember this for next year uh is the adp going to move closer to for every running back that's selected a wide receiver is selected and there isn't this huge push towards drafting running backs early then we're getting in a situation where it becomes a little bit more difficult do you want to hammer? All of these running back, all these wide receivers early, and is there a huge advantage to be gained by hitting the wide receiver position as there was this year, based on average draft position?
1: You know, I'm I'm actually going to push back against you a little there, Mike. I I think that next year we could see something similar to uh, to this past year in terms of, first of all, when we're talking about like the top three or four rounds and how many running backs and wide receivers and quarterbacks and tight ends go. I think we're going to see a couple things next year. Number one, I think we're going to see some quarterbacks go earlier than we think. Um, I think that you're going to see Kyler Murray and Mahomes go in the top two rounds. Probably you're close to that. You can even throw Russell Wilson in there if he finishes hot. And I think people are going to be really thirsty for tight ends next year, seeing what happened this year. I think Waller's ADP is going to be really high. Kittle and Kelsey are both going to have very high ADPs. If people think there are a lot of wide receivers to go around, I think they might feel comfortable waiting in terms of just a supply and demand aspect. And I'm going to go quickly through the running backs that we might see, you know, I think next August we'll see again, people say we need some, we need two of the good running backs. And let me go through them quickly. Who could he draft in the first couple of rounds? Um, Definitely McCaffrey, uh, maybe Mixon, definitely Chubb, maybe Zeke, um, Swift for sure, Aaron Jones for sure. Uh, maybe Jonathan Taylor, uh, maybe C.E.H. Definitely Josh Jacobs. Probably Eckler, um, Dalvin Cook, Kamara, Saquon. Maybe Miles Sanders again. Maybe James Conner. Even though we're not going to be on him, um, C- Chris Carson, Derek Henry, Antonio Gibson. The point being, I I think we might uh, we might keep thinking how can people keep ignoring this fact that the wide receivers are outscoring the running backs. Won't people adjust? And I think with just the uh, ample talent seemingly at running back that I think a lot of the average Joe drafters are going to see and wanting to get a good quarterback and wanting to get a good tight end because it's so top-heavy once again, I think we're going to have the same advantage next year. Call me optimistic, but uh, I think there's too much running back talent for people to stay away from.
2: I'm not arguing as to how people will draft next year because I I don't know. Um, I'm just saying that everything that we're finding in this segment depends on price. And we need to see where wide receivers are going next year before we declare it um, a zero running back win for next year. That's the question to me is, do these drafters continue to think wide receivers so deep I can wait on it and grab everything else? Or are people going to say, I played against DK Metcalf last year and he killed me. I need to draft him. Same for Tyreek Hill, same for Adam, same for uh Keenan Allen, Hopkins, Ridley, Justin Jefferson. I don't know how they're going to draft, but if they continue to draft and you are right, then there will continue to be a huge advantage to be gained. Yeah, I'm
1: I'm uh, I'm very excited to see how it all plays out cuz right now there are so many guys who I can't imagine slipping outside the first two rounds, but the math says, you know, Swift and McLaurin and Gibson and Metcalf all can't be, you know, in the top two rounds,
2: like maybe not just those guys, but um, yeah. I think Swift is one that could fall. Swift is one that I could see myself drafting next year as a result of being a workhorse next year, as I envision him to be. Um, Obviously there's the coaching change. There's no more concerns about Matt Patricia holding him back and I think out of all these rookie running backs, he looks like the best in the pass game and running the ball. And he just looks like a total workhorse. And you combine that with the elements that he's not ending this year on the best note right now. And there may be some recency bias involved in his price, hopefully. Um, We'll see how he finishes the year. And obviously, it's premature to discuss. But that's a guy who people may be a little bit off based on how he's currently finishing 2020. I
1: I sure I sure hope so cuz I would love to get some uh, sophomore DeAndre Swift on some wide receiver wide receiver start teams no doubt about that. Uh Dalton, any uh d- do you think that uh this data vindicates zero RBers for this year and do you think that the same lessons apply to next year?
0: Yeah, I, th- I think I think for the most part it more vindicates modified zero RB considering the fact that you had guys like Kamara Cook and Henry hit in the first round, so I think, like from that standpoint, absolutely, because there's really no other running backs that hit like those guys did. And I think, like also, it really um, vindicates um, how important it is for an elite tight end. If we look at just every single player and their win rates, Travis Kelsey has oh, uh, the second highest win rate, right behind James Robinson. You know, it, it what he's done has proven to be. Um, worthy of a selection right now. If we were to do redraft, I'd assume he'd go top three. Um, and I no think question. that getting him in the second round has really vindicated how important it is. Um, and when we are advocating for zero RB, when we are advocating for zero RB, we're also advocating to draft a tight end early and get one of those top tight ends because like Travis Kelsey has proven this year, he's such a weekly advantage, and it really helps you know structure the rest of your other team in which you can fill holes um, rather easier than you can from a tight end. So I think like overall, like, it has proven to be a very great year. Um, I mean, we usually don't see guys like James Robinson pop out of nowhere and do this, but also guys like Antonio Gibson. Hopefully, if he can stay healthy, but regardless, it's still been a successful season for him. And a lot of these other guys who have just been able to pop in and you've been able to play here for a week or two, whether it's Naheem Hines, Uh, Chase Edmonds here with a couple weeks where he's solid. But, you know, um, overall, like even like a Miles Gaskin as well. Like there's so many guys that really have helped build what Zero RB has been this year with these wide receivers also smashing in the first um, few rounds of the draft.
1: One thing I know for next year, for our listeners, you're going to be hearing once again all offseason to draft the sophomore wide receivers. That I know we can all agree on. That is all we have for you today on the Apex Fansville Podcast. Please enjoy what we've worked so hard to get to, the fantasy football playoffs. They're finally here. If, however, you are out of the playoffs and you're still really itching for more fantasy football action here on Apex, we do our very own playoff leagues where the week after uh, the week before the wildcard games, after week 17, we host drafts, email drafts, live drafts of all different prize points all week. Uh, They are 16 leagues and they are basically total points leagues. You don't know waivers, no starting lineups. You draft two quarterbacks, two running backs, four wide receivers, two tight ends, two kickers, two defenses, all the playoff teams. And whichever team has the most points by the end of the Super Bowl wins. So just because your regular season fantasy team might not have made the playoffs doesn't mean your fantasy season is over. Go to apexfantasyleagues.com to check out our playoff leagues today. Stay safe out there and enjoy the fantasy ball playoffs. Thank you for listening to D. Apex Fantasy Football Podcast.